No, really, you didn't have to do that for me. <laughs> I just want you to know so much has changed since I've been gone. Apparently, Martina McBride got saved and led us in worship this morning. <laughs> and Eddie Van Halen is now on the praise team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Mike Page looked over at me and he said, somebody throw water on that man. I mean, he was burning it up. Well, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be home, and it's good to hear y'all excited about Jesus. Uh, I want you to know, before we get too pumped, uh, that I am well aware of the scoop in Colonial Heights. I've got people in the know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on that there interweb, and I keep up <laughs> with all that uh, face chat stuff. And uh, no, I want you to know, I know there are a lot of changes going down at Mount Pleasant, and I don't make light of those. I know many of them are challenging. Uh, but if I could do one thing this morning for everyone in here, I, I told the last service, and I'll tell you, I, I would come to your house and I would renovate it. Yeah, you're like, please, my house needs renovating. I mean, I would break every mirror in your house, every mirror in your purse, every mirror in your bathroom, every mirror hanging on your wall, and I would replace it with a window that looks on nothing but lost people walking by your house every day. Because it's so easy to not transcend our current issues. I just want to remind you that I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I do not deserve to be overseas leading people to Christ, but I am. God help me to repent when I sin. But there are problems that are bigger than, uh, than what most of you are going through. I, I don't make light of deaths in the family and rebellious children. I received a 13-page letter this weekend from a former student here who's going through a lot of stuff. And I don't make light of those things. But I want us to kind of zoom out, if we could. Just zoom out just for a second. Break a mirror and realize that you're sitting <clears throat> in a world that doesn't know Christ. I mean, right now you're sitting in a world that has heard the gospel. Whether they receive it or not, they've heard it. They have access to it. But there are worlds where kids and women and men are dying to hear the truth of the gospel. There are people groups in the world, statistically, if you share with ten of them, three of them will accept Christ. They're that hungry. I've seen it. I've, uh, I've sat with 60 people from the state of Bihar in India and shared Christ. Twenty of them received Christ and stayed until midnight hearing more Bible stories by a fire. And they sleep on dirt floors. I mean, these people are, they're hungry did you know, and I just want to make you aware so that the Lottie Moon and the global impact offerings that you take up here will mean more to you. There was $12 billion given among Southern Baptists in the offering plates in the year of 2012. $12 billion. 
Of that, about $1.2 billion was designated missions. And of that $1.2 billion, about $250 million made it overseas. 2%. 2%. I live at my job, I'll click on the first slide there, is to reach a state that's in that blood-red country there. The state I'm in is Maharashtra. It has 120 million people. If you took 38 states, 38 state populations, and you stuck them in an area twice the size of Georgia or maybe uh, the size of Virginia and North Carolina, that's the task I have. That's the task our team has of reaching 120 million. But that's okay. There's five of us, and with me, that makes six. So about 20 million per person, we got this. So I want you to zoom out this morning and realize the starving, hungry for Jesus world that is out there. And I want to tell you some highlights from it, uh, but I want to get into some of the ministry stuff. Click ahead there. One more. That's Maharashtra. That's the state where, I'm, where we live. We live right over there on the right side of the left side of that and uh, uh, on the Arabian Sea. In our city, y'all know, is, is packed with people. Within 30 miles of my house, there are 30 million people, which is like just gather up Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia, and put them in Richmond. That's our city. Okay, click to the next one. Our state, there it's zoomed in on our state. It may look small, you know, Georgia, two Georgias. That's not terribly huge, but... It takes eight hours, or actually it takes about 15 hours to go from the north to the south of that state by train. You would never make it in that time by car. From the left, from the west to the east, it would take, I would hazard a guess, 24 hours. It's about 12 hours by train, maybe 14 hours. It's hard to get at some of the villages. There's 44,000 villages there, and most of them are less than one-half percent evangelized. Okay, go ahead to the next. Oh, these, that's areas we've been training, by the way. I want to tell you some stories. This guy is a, probably a millionaire. He is the president and CEO of International Paper over the South Asia Division. About six years ago, he was a knucklehead like some of you dads. He was living for the weekend. Well, you're not knuckleheads because you're actually here. Um, But he was living for the weekend on Sundays. He may hit up a church every now and then, but he's taking his family to the lake. They were going to be partying it up at the lake house or the the beach house. And he uh, was really, he kept an eye on his portfolio and his, his stocks, his investments. And about six years ago, God got a hold of his heart. He realized that he needed to do more with his life. And while he's been living in India, his name's Mike, he, uh, someone didn't tell him that he couldn't be a missionary. You know, they didn't tell him that he had to go to seminary first and he had to pass a certain number of classes and memorize a certain number of verses. They didn't even tell him that. And this crazy man went out there and started leading people to Jesus. They didn't know any better and they got saved. (laughs) And here he is teaching. Actually, it's funny. This exact, I think I took this picture. After this picture, someone else was up there teaching, and some other people had come up that weren't a part of the training. They weren't believers. And he's back there being so loud, 
he, he was leading five other people to Christ. And I had to go and get on to him and say, could you keep it down? We need to train them first before they can just go and, and lead people to Christ. Goodness gracious. Hope no one else finds out about this. So anyway, that's Mike. He's an example. But many of you aren't CEOs living overseas in a situation where you can just go out and do that. So I'll give you another example. Next one. <clears throat> that guy in the yellow shirt's name is Ken. And Ken is ancient. I mean, he is as old as dirt. Yeah, old, old, old. He's 70. I mean, that's old, 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 just ancient. And Ken came and he taught. We, we sent lessons to him for he came on a vision team to reach an unreached people group. It's a wonder he was, could still walk. I mean, he's 70. And uh, it's just ancient. And so Ken, <clears throat> he comes and he has his lesson plan. He's going to teach the Indian nationals, and he's got a translator with him. Eddie, I've seen you. Or I may have seen you at a ZZ Top concert before. <laughs> ACDC? Angus? I got your number. Sorry, I mean, I mean, God's got some talent. God redeems everything when you get saved, doesn't he? Uh, so, so here's Ken, that old guy, and he's like this, and he's reading off his notes. Um, turn to the book of uh, Romans. I'm in the back sweating drops of blood. I'm like, oh, Lord, please help us. Jesus, is this happening right now? We've gathered 100 Indian men to hear teaching of God's word, and this is what we're getting. Let me tell you something. Ken came in, prayed up, and ready to do business for the Lord. He was obedient, period. That's it. He didn't have any special speaking skills like Apollos. He didn't have uh, any incredible amount of boldness. He was nervous. And everywhere that man went, people got saved. Matter of fact, he went back in the month of June. He's retired, so he can do that. I mean, he's 70. <laughs> Who works after they're 70? And so he goes and stays a month. And in the month of June this year... Among an unreached people group of over 2 million people who we don't know, we didn't know of one believer among them last year. And we didn't know of one church among them this year. And he goes in and stays with another really old guy who's like 71. And they help lead 200 people to Christ. They planted, not them alone, but the national partners they're working with, planted 12 to 14 house churches. They baptized the first four uh, known believers among an unreached people group. And, uh, and that's real. These are people I've met and places I've been. <clears throat> and it's amazing what God's done through one obedient, ancient retired man who has no formal Bible training. I don't even know if he teaches Sunday school at his church, 
but he is obedient. And that man's led more people to Christ in a month than I have in four years. Now, he's a catalyst for leading them to Christ. Let me click to the next slide. This is just to remind you that God still heals people. I've seen this child, and this child was blind. And some men prayed over this child, and uh, she received her sight. I've been in that home. As a matter of fact, you'll see a guy in the doorway back there. His lips are kind of white. He's got that kind of acid-washed thing going on. And uh, I haven't shared this, but that man is from a different people group, not the people group they meant to go reach. You know, sometimes when you go out there to reach lost people and you're going toward this one person to reach them, sometimes you accidentally lead other people to Christ. It's unfortunate, but there is some bleed over. Sometimes the cup runs over. That guy right there, his wife was demon-possessed. Now, that's not his wife in the picture up front. His wife's not in that picture. But his wife, when you see her, she glows with the love of Jesus. I mean glows. It, it, really, in India, when you see a, say, uh, a person that's saved, you know it. It's like seeing a youth pastor. I mean, <laughs> goatees. Sorry. <clears throat> I can spot a youth pastor, I mean, from a mile away. I'm a goatee and a printed T-shirt. I mean, you know, they're either a youth pastor or a church planner. But for church planners, I got to look for the Hebrew tats. I mean, you know, tattoos. You. Curtis has got a Greek one across his back. I'll get him to show it to you later. So anyway, that guy in the back in the middle, the guy with the bleached face, I, I, well, I've never heard any man say what he said. He was sharing his testimony one night. We're sitting, and let me tell you, that house we're sitting in right there is in the middle of nowhere. And he's sitting there and he's talking about his wife had, she was demon possessed and he sent, he wasn't saved, but he sent her to a Bible study because she was acting all wacko. And, uh, she comes back and, and the demon in her spoke out and was beating him, her husband. I know that's pretty intense stuff for y'all get your mind around this early in the morning. Sorry, but I saw his picture there. I just noticed it and wanted to tell a story. And long story short, she went back, they prayed over her, and the Bible says that, you know, we go out with the power to cast out demons. The demons uh, answer to the Lord's authority in us. And that is true. I have seen it. And, uh, and so that demon got cast out of that woman and she came home and got saved. And then now hubby's got to follow suit. And man, he got saved. And he, with tears in his eyes as he shared his testimony, sitting on that little floor with one little light bulb burning in that house. He said, I'm not a smart man. I don't have an education, but God has given me the ability to do my job well. He, he's a land broker and has no education. I've never seen a man say, God made me smart. No, I made me smart, right? I mean, he gave credit for his mind and his ability to do his job. He gave that credit to God. I've never seen it spoken so genuinely as that man right there. It's, I'm just overwhelmed. And he's from another unreached people group that we accidentally ran into. Okay, click to the next. That's Mackie and my pregnant wife. And I'm sure she hates this picture. I'm sorry. Mackie in the middle is a retired school teacher. 
she weighs about 70 or 80 pounds, and she's also ancient. She's 70. And she was also, I might throw this in because it does have a little to do with the story, a truck driver. Yeah, don't let her little small frame fool you. I mean, she'll whoop any of y'all's tails on any given day. She's a spitfire. Uh, she is an, aw- an awesome lady. She's divorced. Her, her husband divorced her. She's single. And she has a desire to, to reach uh, the brothels, the prostitutes, the women who've been sold into sex trade in India. And she has started ministries in so many places that are going on right now. I mean, she's not even in the country now because uh, she comes and goes some. So I was looking at my wife to just double check. But she, co- she is, um, hey, Christina, how you doing? I'm sorry, she was my secretary back in the day, so I had to give a little props to Christina. Uh, Mackie goes in there. My wife sits on the floor and tells Bible stories to these women who are being, ser- you know, they're servicing these men. They're getting up and leaving and coming back for $2. And, uh, and we're rescuing those women. They're being rescued right now in Mumbai. There are women that have been taken from that, that trade. They're being taught another trade and living in another home now and being discipled. That's happening right now because of Lottie Moon giving. I know we talk about it and it's, you know, it's all, we put little posters up, little, little, uh, you know, thermometers with the amount we've given, but it's real. It's tangible and I've seen it. I've actually gone into a brothel once with her in an area the size of this church that had 300 prostitutes in it. Uh, thank God I was with, with her. No one hit on me when I was with her. Okay, no, <laughs> not that they would anyway, but go ahead. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a quick story. This is, uh, uh, y'all have time for a love triangle story with a murder thrown in. I mean, this isn't like Thursday night TV. This is real stuff. I mean, I can skip this story because people don't really like that kind of dramatic things. Unless you want to hear it. All right. I thought this was the crowd that wanted to hear this. All right, so this guy, I mean, you just can call him the Apostle Paul because he was living in Bangladesh. I won't go into all the details, but he was in a love triangle. That means he would love this girl, and she loved him. They were to be married, but in that, in that culture, that parents arrange marriages, so the dad of this girl was going to sell her to a richer man, basically. That's what it amounts to. They don't call it selling, but it's what it is. And so this guy here went to that, to that man and said, you got 24 hours to back off my woman or I'm going to kill you. 24 hours later, he went to his house, put a gun to his head and shot him and killed him. He paid off government officials to make sure his name was expunged from everything. That was in 1982. Fast forward, now he's got his perfect, legit Indian paperwork like he was born in a different city, and he is living in Mumbai. He's stealing for a living, and in 2000, he robs someone, gets caught, and gets thrown in jail where he hears about Jesus, all right? Doesn't know what to do with it. He's a Muslim. You know, who are you supposed to tell with that stuff? So 
Fast forward to last February, February 2nd, last year. Some of y'all may have seen some highlights in our newsletters about this stuff. But February 2nd, this guy runs into some evangelists. Now, what that means is we took two hot coals, two fired-up brothers that were in, let's just call it a revival. A revival is where there's just an explosion of, of new believers and churches. I mean, like... In over a 10-year period, there's 700 house churches started among, uh, among Muslims in four countries from one man who has one arm. <laughs> Matter of fact, he's flying in. He's flying in. I'm going to see him in November. First time he's ever been to the U.S., we're going to get him here. He's going to be uh, speaking with me in some places. But he got, that one guy got saved and led that guy that's baptizing right now to the Christ. That guy is a pastor of like 30 house churches up in Bangladesh, the guy doing the baptism. So these evangelists come. You know, God says he gives some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then he gives others to be pastors and teachers. All right? But the, but the apes, the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, they're kind of the point of the spear, you know, where no one's been. They, they get in where no one's been. And so those guys came. They, one of them got arrested sharing the gospel in January of last year. And three days later, after he got out of prison, they baptized 11 people in the middle of the day in front of the largest mosque in one of the largest mosques in our city, in the Arabian Sea. That's just how God rocks it, you know. Go on and throw us in jail, and you get out, and that's when it starts happening. Really. There's no movement of God where there's not persecution, Period. It's not real. It's like talking to a guy who says he has a motorcycle and he's never skinned his knee. Like, you've never ridden the thing, dude. You know, I mean, if you own a motorcycle, you've laid it down somewhere. And if you're, uh, if you're a child of God doing what you should be doing for Jesus, someone, someone somewhere doesn't like you. All right, so this guy's baptizing February 2nd, that murderer who got saved, who ran into our evangelist. Next picture. 24 days later, I don't know if you realize it, but the guy who was getting dunked in the first picture is doing the dunking in this one. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to roll. 24 days after you get saved, you're supposed to be dunking people, right? It's in there. It's in first something. Uh, And he baptized four people that day, three people two days later. He lives on a dirt floor that is it's 10 by 10 he loads fruit trucks for a living he's 67 year old years old he's outlived seven of his 12 children the man has seen pain he's seen sin and he is rocking it for the lord he's bold in his faith this year may just before i flew to the u.s people muslims broke in the, to his home he had other converted muslims in his home having a house church They broke in. They ran everybody out. I won't get into the details, but I had to go and make peace there. And I don't have time to tell the story, but long story short, that night they came back. They choked him. They threatened his life. They said, we're going to kill you if you don't get out of here. I saw him the next day at a kind of debriefing that we all had. And I said, "Uh, brother, I said, I'll be there tomorrow to help you move back to your old village, which was just about a mile away. And he said, no, I'm, I'm staying. I said, well, why don't you just let me move? You can move for a little while and 
you know, and things would die down. He goes, no, God has told me to move there. I'm staying there. That's where I'm staying. I've spoken with him since I've been here, by the way. Unbelievable. There's a bazillion story. Oh, by the way, he's baptized over 60 since then. They've started seven to nine house groups. Yeah, it's awesome. God's awesome like that. Uh, yeah, he's just incredible. And I could tell a million other stories, but I'm going to let... Oh, before my daughter comes up here, where is my daughter? Shiloh, Elijah, are y'all in here? Y'all rocking it in the back like good Baptists. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you come down here and get all queued up right here? I'm about to call you up here. Elijah, are you in here too? You're in the balcony, homie? <laughs> In the foyer, you can talk to people to save time. Um, Turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. Go on down to verse 14. 2 Kings 13, 14. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. You preachers in here and you Sunday school teachers... Wait on people to find the passage before you start talking, please. I learned that back way back in the day, and man, people, I had people get on to me. Wait, pages are still flipping. Not everybody's a new little Bible thumping Christian like you. You know, some of us are new to this. We don't all have iPads, Clark. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Did I say that out? I, look, I'm preaching from an iPhone, so I mean, it's okay. I'm of your tribe. All right. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 14. For y'all that are still flipping, it's in the Old Testament. There's, a con- <laughs> there's, a, there's an index in the front that'll tell you the page number. Or just get a, get a phone. All right. Look on with a neighbor. Oh, Siri, yeah. Siri, find Second Kings. Okay, Second Kings 13, 14. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Let me pause here and explain. I don't have time to go into all the context, but this is like a king who likes his spiritual advisors. They're like little lucky charms, like a little rabbit's foot, you know. And they're like, hey, this king, Joash, followed a ruler who basically ran the nation into the ground. I mean, the nation was defunct. They had lost most of their chariots and horsemen. They were in a hole. And he comes to Elisha. He's like, hey, you got to hook me up. You're about to die, and you got to do your little mumbo-jumbo over me and give me that blessing I've seen you do before, you know. That's kind of what's going on here. He's like, help me. I'm starting with nothing. And Elisha uh, said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to him, uh, draw the bow. And he drew it. Verse 16, and Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, notice Elisha laid his hands on him. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight. And they'll, 
you're going to defeat them. Then he said, verse 18, take the arrows, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Now, let me just pause here and explain. All through scripture, you know, when Jesus healed blind people, he never did it the same way. You know, he's always changing up that process because it wasn't about the process. It was about obedience. It wasn't about some man-made little structure. Oh, oh, we got to have this, you know, we got to do it this way or we're not going to get healed. It was about obeying the prophet of God who represented the words of God, Elisha, chosen by God, a prophet is telling you what to do. And so the king is beating the arrows on the ground. He strikes them three times. And you can just see him, you know, kind of like, seriously, I'm a king of Israel. You know, and he stops. And for whatever reason, we don't know clearly why he stopped. But whatever it was going on there, it was enough to make Elisha angry. It said, then the man of God, verse 19, was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times, and then you would have struck down Syria until you made an end of it. But now you'll strike down Syria only three times. Then you're going to hear this crazy story thrown in the middle here. It's a story of some people at a funeral. I mean, this is weird shift. You talk about ADD. This is like a, this is like a youth pastor conversation. You know, it's like squirrel. Okay, And he stops right here and he goes off on this tangent about this funeral that people are having. And there was a time of the year marauders came in and robbed people. And, and so they were like, hurry, throw the dead man in the tomb. And it was Elisha's tomb. And the dead body fell on the, on the bones of Elisha. And he got up and, and revived the dead body. Now what in the world does that have to do with this? Fast forward to the end of the chapter. End of verse 23, it says... I'm sorry, verse 25 at the end, three times Joash defeated him. Now, Joash did what? He took the arrows, the king of Israel. He beat on the ground three times. The man of God was mad. He's like, man, if you'd have kept beating, you'd have got him completely. And then guess what happened? He he did exactly that. He defeated him three times. Not it didn't make an end of him. The caveat in there with the funeral thing and the dead body raised to life is putting emphasis on the prophets of God. The, the whole point here is to say that the prophets of God speak and what they speak is true. The dead body fell on him. The life rises up. There are life in the words of those prophets. Y'all better start listening to them. That's what's going on here. In the New Testament, and I'm just, I told you that real weird story because I didn't think it had ever been preached on here. I try to find something that's new and fresh. Probably hadn't been, you know, the three strikes. You didn't preach on that last Sunday, did you? Two weeks ago, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to hear it again. The point here is that God does what he says he's going to do. And our expectation is pathetic. I'm just going to tell you, I received this rebuke today. I'll put my finger on myself. Our expectation of God is small. The Bible says in Luke, the harvest is plentiful. I don't want you to shake your fist at God, but you better start pointing fingers 
And you better start saying, God, if the harvest is plentiful, then why am I not a part of it? Why am I not seeing dozens of people come to Christ and marriage is restored? And maybe you are. Expect more. That's all I had to say. Expect more. We've seen about 700 people saved since I've been in India. I've seen at least three unreached people groups that didn't know the gospel engaged in the last two years. I've seen brothel ministry. I've seen our, our, our son and our daughter be a witness to their friends, like just insanely obedient. But I'm not satisfied. I expect that. That's what I expect, and I'm a man. I mean, you know, and I wake up some morning so mad. I mean, in a good way, dissatisfied with the status quo. And I pray that you will, under, will embrace dissatisfaction. I mean, you learn to live with it and love it. Because I don't ever want to be there. I'm going to be in heaven one day. I want to be there. But I don't want to be at a point in my life where the lost aren't lost. They're just a little less lost to me, you know. And I don't weep over the lost. And I pray you never lose that expectation. Shiloh, come up here. She's going to share with you. A little bit about Shiloh Shelter. I know you already know this, but she's going to just say a, a tidbit about it. Um, when I was 12 years old, I heard about how in India nobody wants a girl because when the girls get married, their family has to pay a large amount of money to the groom's family. And in India, it's illegal to find out the gender of your baby because it's so bad that if... Sorry. They'll abort the baby if they find out it's a girl, or after if they instantly find out it's a girl, then they'll kill it, or they'll abandon it. And so I heard about that when I was 12, and I prayed about it for about two years and didn't really take time to think about actually doing something about it. And then when I was 14, I was at a school conference, and the topic that week was legacy. And that just really hit me because I knew I had to be in India because I had a piece about being there, and I knew we were called there, but I had never asked God what he personally had for me. And so I instantly thought of the baby girls when the teacher asked me what I wanted my legacy to be. And so for the past year and a half, we've been working on getting a shelter started that baby girls could be anonymously dropped off at. And I'm praying that by next year that we'll be able to start taking in baby girls. Awesome. So uh, I know many of y'all are involved in that already. I see the t-shirts out there this morning. Thank you for it. I don't say, people come up and say, you think it's going to happen? I say, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't, we don't control those things. God's going to do it. Didn't we just read that? And so if, when God said the harvest is plentiful, he means it. It's here. There's lost people around you. Go find them, you know. Hang out with some lost people. Go somewhere with them. Get by their meal. You know, share Christ with your with your uh, what's it called waiter waitress. Expect more, and that's my prayer for you. Let me pray for you this morning, Father. I love uh, the people here. You know, in my heart, how much time and energy and prayers and tears and sins I've committed to this church and in it. And Lord, I, I just want to ask you,
to raise the bar in our hearts. We don't have it in ourselves. We don't trump, uh, muster up the energy in ourselves, God. It's got to come from you. But we can ask. And this morning, matter of fact, church, I just challenge you to say this to the Lord. God, help me to expect more from you. I don't know where we got it in our heads that it, we should feel guilty for asking God to do something great through us. But if we are born again believers, and if we have repented of our sins, we are worth following. I want other people to repent of their sins. I want my kids, my future new boys to, to grow up and accept Christ at an early age. And when they do, they'll be worth imitating. And you people, some of you in these pews right now, are not being used of God because you don't see yourself as, as worthy of being used. Get over yourself. Break the mirror and start looking out into the world that God has you to serve. We don't do this. God does it. I am not, Went Fox is not good at anything. I am not exceptional at anything I do. I'm a decent soccer player. I'm a decent hunter. I'm an okay dad. I, I try to be a good husband. But I'm not exceptional. God is exceptional, and I just fight my way toward obedience every chance I can. Lord, help this church to cry out to you and say, we want more. It's not about four walls and a corner at Mount Pleasant. The kingdom of God includes all the churches. And I ask us to be obedient this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.